0: As some of you may know, recently I've begun a sort of series through the Ten Commandments, also known as the Decalogue. That's just a word that's derived from the Septuagint. Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It comes from the word deka, which means ten, and logos, which means word or words. So the word together as a whole, Decalogue, just simply means the ten words or the Ten Commandments. And so in in preaching this sort of series through the Ten Commandments, what I've done is decided to preach one sermon on each commandment. Thus far, we've covered two commands in two sermons uh, in our Sunday evening context. And this morning, I aim to preach from the third word, or the third commandment. And you might ask, I hear the question, why, why do a series through the Ten Commandments? Why would we do such a thing? Aren't the Ten Commandments somewhat dated? And I would respond and say, absolutely, they are dated, but dated in the sense that they are old, not dated in the sense that they are unusable, not dated in the sense that they shouldn't be used today. In fact, I would argue the opposite. I would argue that the Ten Commandments are needed more today than ever. More people, and you can look up the statistics, but more people are familiar with and can recall ingredients for a Big Mac, but few people would know that you shall not murder is a commandment in the Bible. Say nothing of keep the Sabbath day holy. Say nothing of You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. This is important for us. And so, if you're taking notes, the title of this series is this 10 words to prize and practice. 10 words to prize and practice. And the title for this morning's message for the third commandment is simple. It's this, the third word, his holy name. The third word, colon, his holy name. We will review the first and second commandments, not only for the sake of context, but also for those who potentially were unable to hear the first two commandments. But before that, let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20 and hear God's ten words to His people. These are words of life. If His people are to walk in obedience to them, we experience spiritual life, spiritual flourishing Spiritual blessing. So God gives his ten words. Exodus 20, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder, and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid, and trembled. They stood far off, and said to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now to review, let's briefly walk through the first commandment and the second commandment before we begin to explore the third. And I'll tell you up front, the purpose of the titles of these messages now and going forward, and even the past two messages, are purposeful, they're intentional, and what they're meant to do is be, to capture rather, the essence of the command. To state it in a succinct manner for the purposes of our memory, but also so that we can understand them better. So, for the first word, if we wanted to state it succinctly and capture its essence, we would say it something like this unadulterated allegiance. That's the essence of the first commandment, unadulterated allegiance. This command communicates to us that our worship must be exclusively to God. Any admixture of other gods would be a violation of the command. And though I can see this, the term unadulterated may seem a bit odd. It may seem peculiar. But it's actually very appropriate. For God has established a covenant relationship with his people. Any devotion to other gods in addition to him is fundamentally spiritual adultery. And I've said this in the past, but we can think of it in human standards or in a humanistic way. For us to worship the true God and to also at the same time worship other gods is like committing adultery on your honeymoon. It's a severe thing. Because God has established a covenant relationship with his people. Our devotion may be to the true God. But we violate this command today as well. We may be devoted to other false gods like the God or the false God of financial security. We pay devotion to the true God, but we also pay devotion to good health or beauty, or consumerism. When we are devoted to these things along with the true God, we become practical polytheists ourselves. And thus we break the first commandment. And yet there's great hope. Christ fulfilled this command because He is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. When we submit our lives to His Lordship and His Lordship alone. We walk in obedience to the first command. So the first command stated succinctly unadulterated allegiance. And the second word could be summarized in this way, unwaning worship. Unwaning worship or undiminished worship. We could put it as by saying undiminished worship, making a graven image of God and worshiping it as the true God diminishes His perfections. It insults His image, but it also insults His covenant love. And we may at times be tempted to think of the Ten Commandments or even this one commandment too simplistically, but I would would warn against that We may not contrive a physical idol or a graven image, call it the true God and worship it as God, but it's very possible that we fabricate in our minds a docile God, a God that is more palatable for us, for our evangelism. And when we worship that, when we worship that God as the true God, We violate the second commandment. But again, there's hope. Christ fulfills this command in a profound way. Christ is the image of God, the exact image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature. We, because of the fall, are a sin-stained, shadowy image of God. Though we were created in His image, because of our sin, we are a shadowy image of Him. But Christ is the exact image. The Lord's perfections are preserved in Christ. So the first commandment stated succinctly, unadulterated allegiance. The second word, Speaks to unwaning worship or undiminished worship. And the third word, which we will cover this morning, speaks of his holy name. It speaks of his holy name, his sacred name. Let's look at our text for this morning Exodus 20, verse 7. It's just one verse. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. If you're listening for outline points this morning, I'll be up front with you and tell you I don't have any. Rather, I have a few preliminary questions concerning the text that I hope will allow us, I pray will allow us to better understand and apply this very important commandment. So looking at the text, I think the first question that we can ask is, what is a name? What is a name? What is the significance of a name? Both our notion and, of names, and even the way or process that we name is different than that of the Bible. We, in Western culture, name children based off of our preference, based off the way that they sound, perhaps after a relative, or even by elimination. We say, I don't want that name because of some past or poor experience we had with that name. But in the Bible, in the ancient Near East, it's different. In their culture, a name really represented more than just simply distinguishing persons. A name speaks of character, a name speaks of reputation. Other than God himself, names can speak of both good reputation and good character, but names can also speak of bad reputation. Or bad character. And let me show you what this looks like. I'll give you a couple examples. The name Abram means exalted father. But God changes his name, if we remember. And he changes it to Abraham. Which means father of a multitude. The name Jacob means he supplants. Which is fitting. Because he supplants or usurps his, brother, his brother's birthright, Esau. And then if we want to think of a name that's rather negative, we can think of the name Nabal, mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Nabal is a name that means fool, or even perverse fool, kind of an unfortunate name, but he does live up to his name. In 1 Samuel 25, David extends to him peace, he extends to him goodness, and Nabal, the fool that he is, responds with evil. He responds by insulting King David and he pays the price for his insult. On a positive note, Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. A fitting name as he leads God's people into the promised land. A name speaks of character. A name speaks of reputation. That's what makes up a name. And so too with God, his name speaks of his character and speaks of his reputation. Anytime we pray in the name of the Lord, we're praying according to his character. The Bible is peppered with mentions of God's name, mentions of his character, mentions of his reputation, But I think even if we just look at the first 20 chapters of Exodus, we begin to see the name of God unfold. And I won't have you turn there, but if you're taking notes, maybe you can write them down as a way of reference. But Exodus chapter 2, the latter part of Exodus, God's people are groaning. They're crying out to their God, God, we are being enslaved in Egypt. We are in bondage. And then in verse 24, God says, or at least the text says, God heard their cry for deliverance and remembered his covenant with Abraham. So, what does that mean concerning his name? It shows us that God is a faithful God to keep his covenant, it shows us that God is a God who hears his people. Exodus chapter 3, a a well-known passage and a passage we've gone to in past sermons, the burning bush. God tells Moses, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. We see his holiness. But then in that great statement, I am who I am, we see that God is sovereign. We see that God is self-sufficient. We see that he is the living God. These are all contributing to his name. God is revealing His name to His people. In Exodus chapter 7 through 12, we have the ten plagues. And the ten plagues testify of God's glory. They testify also of God's sovereignty. They testify of His power. Exodus 16 through 17 the people are hungry, the people are thirsty, and God gives them food and drink. He gives them manna from heaven, He gives them a quail, He gives them water. God is the God of provision. He provides for His people. And lastly, Exodus 20, our text for this morning. God gives to His people the gracious gift of His word. And in walking in obedience to His word, they receive Life and flourishing and blessing. In 20 chapters, we begin to see the majesty of his name, the majesty of his reputation, the majesty of his character. The psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it is clear that his name is abundantly important and stressed, in fact, even in our chapter for this morning, chapter 20. Not just in verse 7, but notice verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He reminds his people who he is. He gives them his name. What's interesting here, though, is that in the first two commandments, they are put in the first person point of view. And we can see that. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. That's first person. And then in the second commandment, look at verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Now skip to verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. It's still in first person. But then notice in the third commandment, it's in third person. Verse 7 You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It doesn't say, You shall not take my name in vain. Do you see that? It doesn't say, You shall not take my name in vain. That would be first person. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. Third person. And we ask, why is this important? Joel, I think you're being too literary here. Well, actually, I don't think that's the case. This is very important because God is putting the emphasis on his name. He is showing the importance of his name. He's accentuating his name. He's trying to communicate to his people that his name is holy, his name is sacred. But I think the next question that we have to ask we've asked, what is a name? And we understand that now, but the next question we have to ask is, what does it mean to take his name in vain? What does it mean to take his name in vain? if we translated it more literally from the Hebrew, it would be something like this. Do not lift up the name to falsehood or do not bear the Lord's name to falsehood. I think the New International Version is helpful in their translation. The NIV reads, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You shall not misuse the the name of the Lord, your God, but even still, what does it mean to misuse His name? And I'll remind you, we must remember that we have to be careful not to think too simplistically about the Ten Commandments. It's not just a command against swearing. It's not just a command against making an oath with God using his name. It's not just a command to not use God's name as a cuss word. This command most definitely does include that. But if God's name speaks of his character and speaks of his reputation, this command is much more complex. The Old Testament, I believe, shows us a few ways how the third commandment can be broken. And I'll provide a a few of those this morning. The first, we've already mentioned it, but to curse or to blaspheme the name of the Lord. That is a breach of the third commandment. Leviticus 24 is, is helpful with that. Today we use, or to use, God's name in vain. To use God's name as a cuss word, to use it in the place of profanity, is an obvious breach of the third commandment. Though I, I might argue that oftentimes today it's, it's more of out of habit than intentionally attempting to curse God or use his name as a cuss word. But nonetheless, it does not demonstrate a care for his holy name. The third commandment also shows that we break it when we throw up false oaths, oaths that we cannot keep or do not plan to keep. Leviticus 19:12 says, "You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane or defile the name of your God. I am the Lord." And Christ intensifies this command in the Sermon on the Mount and tells the people, don't take oaths, period. Just simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than that comes from evil. If we were to apply this today, don't make promises and slap the reputation and character of God to your promise to enhance your credibility. That's a breach of the third commandment. To exercise or promote false oracles or erroneous claims to speak for God or speak in his name is also a violation of this command. We do this maybe differently today, but we misuse God's name When we use his name to legitimize our agenda, we misuse his name when we use his name to legitimize our agenda. Be careful, my friends, not to attach God's name on the back of your plans just because you feel strongly about these proposed ideas. It's a misuse of his name regardless of how genuine these plans or ideas may be. In the Old Testament, to touch things that were considered to be holy were also a breach of the third commandment. Leviticus 22 verse 2 says, Speak to Aaron and his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me so that they do not profane, there's that word again, or defile my holy name. I am the Lord. While we may not have this particular struggle today, we often do struggle to maintain a right reverence for his holy name. And I think that this can be exposed a lot of the time in our prayer life. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I think this is helpful in exposing careless uses of God's name. Matthew chapter 6 verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Verse 7 is not meant to shame children or to shame the new believer for how they pray. The point of prayer is not. Necessarily to be severely or strictly articulate. The point of prayer is to be sincerely authentic. Yet both pompous prayers and careless prayers, particularly with their use of God's name, can be a violation of the third commandment. Christ says, Do not heap up empty phrases. To heap up empty phrases is to use vain repetitions. Empty phrases are, in essence, vain repetitions. And so when we're speaking of using God's, care, using God's name carelessly, we have to ask the question, do we use vain repetitions of God's name in our prayers? We've most certainly heard prayers that are careless with God's name. We can think of them something like this. Lord God, you're awesome. God, you're just so good. Lord, we just pray that you would give us grace, Lord. Kevin DeYoung has a helpful comment on this. He would say that when we use God's name in careless ways like this, almost flippantly, we use the Lord's name as if it were a little more than a breath or a comma. In essence, when we pray, be careful not to use God's name as mere punctuation. His name is holy. Verse 9 says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Or let your name be kept holy. Or let your name be treated with reverence. We must revere his name as holy even in our prayer life. Careless use of God's name is a violation of the third commandment. Do you see Or at least begin to see how comprehensive this third commandment really is. I think, speaking for myself, and I don't know about you, but I have found that I break this commandment most profoundly and regularly in my prayers before meals. I'm so guilty of this, primarily because I love food. But I'm asking myself now, are these prayers before meals wrote? Are they mere habit? Is this prayer an obstacle to get through, to get to the meal? These are questions I'm asking myself now. Short prayers, my friends, are really not the issue here. It's how we can possibly use God's name thoughtlessly or carelessly to simply get to a meal. It's a breach of the third commandment. This commandment is so complex. It's so comprehensive. We could even say this of the third commandment. Because God's name speaks of his reputation and character. Anytime we do not rightly reflect his name, we have violated the third commandment. This affects our worship as a whole, not just our prayer, but just think of our singing. I've often encouraged us and reminded us that we must be people that mean what we sing. We must believe the words that we're singing. We must engage with our minds. We're singing songs like, Take my life and let it be. Be thou my vision. God is so good. I surrender all. We're singing songs of his character. We're singing songs of his reputation. And my friends, we must be careful. Because if we do not mean or believe what we are singing particularly of God's name, then we are singing lies. We have effectively lifted up his name to falsehood. We've broken the third commandment. We must be careful. Turn back in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We haven't covered that part yet. And we don't get specifics. We don't get specifics on what these consequences look like. But in my mind, it's actually what the text doesn't say that is most chilling. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God takes the preservation of his holy name very seriously. And so should we. There will be some who will perpetually misuse God's name even up to the day of judgment. And on that day, they will say to the Lord, 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 Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? But Christ will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But my friends, there is great hope. There is great hope. Turn to Philippians Philippians chapter 2 verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name that is bestowed on him, the name that is above every name is not Jesus. That name was given to him at the time of his incarnation. The name that is above every name that is given to him is Lord. Kyrios, in the Greek. It is really the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Yahweh. And Paul knows this. He is in effect saying Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Jesus Christ is the true God. And because Christ is the true God, he fulfills the third commandment. How? Because his character and reputation are flawless. Christ lived in perfect obedience to the Father and died a death in our stead rose again victorious, where we failed. His reputation and name were flawless, were perfect. And because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, His commandments are not burdensome, but are a blessing for those who follow Him. Those who follow Christ bear his name and thus his character and reputation. We bear his name because at conversion and upon entering the church, we in obedience to God were baptized in his name. We were baptized in his name. His name is associated with everything that we do. Before I was able to drive... My dad was often the one who would take us to events, youth group events. If we wanted to spend time with friends, he would, he would drive us there. And I remember distinctly, right before we would step out of the car, he would often turn around to us and he would say something like this. Now, sons, your last name is Bautista. Bautista. You share my name. Remember whose name you bear. Remember whose name you bear. And I was young, many of the times, and yet I understood exactly what he was saying. In effect, my character and reputation, the things that I would do, was a reflection onto his character and reputation. And the same is with our Lord, we should be saying something like this to ourselves. Remember whose holy name we bear. Remember whose holy name we bear. If we wanted to state the third commandment in a more positive light, we could state it like this. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do Everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, in word or deed, that completely nullifies the notion that the third commandment is only about using God's name as a cuss word. This commandment addresses the entire Christian life. Do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, do everything in accordance with his character. We're going to end now this morning so we can provide some time to participate in the Lord's Supper. And in preparation to distribute the elements, let's pray together. Lord, your name is holy. Teach us to revere your name, to hallow it. What conviction your word brings to our hearts, and what joy we experience when we walk in obedience to you. Lord, we confess that sometimes we speak holy words, but we live hollow lives. Would it not be so? Would we bear your name rightly in word or deed? Would we do everything in your name? Prepare our hearts now, Lord, as we look to joyfully celebrate and soberly remember the work of your Son. Lord, we pray all of these things according to your perfect character. Amen.